listening to Vet Candy. Hello and welcome to this episode of Vet Candy IRL. My name is Shannon Gregoire. So today I am super excited to bring to you an amazing veterinarian who has done so many amazing things and you actually might know her from her Nat Geo Wild television series, Pop Goes the Vet with Dr. Joya Griffin. So please help me in welcoming Dr. Joya. <laughs> thank you for coming today. Hi, thank you for having me, Shannon. It's so great to finally get to, I mean, virtually meet you. <laughs> right. <laughs> but everything's virtual right now, so that's okay. It's like meeting in person. <laughs> yeah, it's like perfectly normal now. <laughs> so tell us a little bit, you know, about your background and how you got into vet med and what made you want to become a veterinarian? Yeah. So I think, you know, common to a lot of vet students and people who are vets now, I started having a love for animals when I was very young and I, you know, I would take in strays and we had cats and dogs and we had a small breeding operation (laughs) where me and my sister just had, we had a litter of kittens almost every summer and we just loved it. They were born in our home. Our neighbors probably didn't like it, but we had a lot of cats and, you know, it was just a fun time for us. And my parents always encouraged me, you know, to whatever I chose to be, to follow it through and that, you know, I could do whatever I wanted to do in life. And so having that kind of early on, um, when I started to have my love for animals, I felt supported and I just kind of saw that through. I, Went to Johns Hopkins for undergrad and was pre-vet in a sea of pre-med students. Um, That was uh, very stressful, though, at some points. Um, But also, I tried to pull myself out of the competition because I wasn't trying to get into Harvard or Yale med school, but instead was probably trying to get into something even harder (laughs) because, as you know, um, vet schools have, you know, such few slots. And even then, um, we had even fewer slots for vet school with smaller class sizes and fewer vet schools. So it's a, a little bit more fortunate now for students, I guess, but still a, still a hard thing to, to get into. But um, I ended up getting into Cornell and I chose it um, for several reasons, but one based off of their um, support of multicultural awareness and students and for their case-based learning style. So I ended up there. And then after that, I went to a rotating internship in Chicago with VCA And I chose that internship because it allowed me to work with dermatologists. I had three different dermatology mentors that I worked with. I had already figured out that I wanted to go into dermatology as a vet student. Um, I think that was fortunate for me because I had a plan pretty early on. And it was really after seeing my own pet dog, Gizmo, like having her life transformed by the dermatologist and coming from this pet that had, you know, (laughs) greasy, smelly, erosive skin where she had to live in an e-collar for over a year to a dog that had a wonderful quality of life and lived to be 13 and a half was just a miraculous change. And that was what I wanted to give to my my clients. So I chose early on. I, I could see that difference that dermatologists could make. And I wanted, you know, I wanted to do that too. So that's what led me to my internship. And then I fortunately and thankfully was able to go back to Cornell for my residency. So I worked there through my residency and then stayed a year um, as a instructor. And then I went to move to Louisville. Um, I followed a boy there and um, <laughs> my husband is from Louisville. And I that's how we ended up in Louisville. And I've been with Animal Dermatology Clinic ever since. So. Well, that's awesome. I know you answered some of my questions before I could ask them. <laughs> That's good. I liked hearing it all in one shot because it gives a, a really good picture of how everything kind of developed. One of my questions was going to be like, what was your inspiration for dermatology? And you talked about your own dog. And I feel like that's one of the strongest motivators. Like, and like what we want to do as veterinarians is like usually one of those pets that we have growing up that we see something, you know, either tragic or transformative in their lives. And it inspires us to then do that for other people. So that's really awesome. Yeah. And I think when it's something that's personal, sometimes it drives you more, you know, when you've experienced it, because some fields are hard to know that that might be a good fit because you've never seen it. You've never done it. Like I find it interesting when people choose, you know, 
some things that are less familiar to veterinarians, like lab animal medicine or, I don't know, <laughs> poultry medicine. Like I've had students that that was originally their goal. And I'm always like, how did you get interested in that? You know, because as a city kid, that just would seem so out of my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, a little less exposure there before they get into that industry. <laughs> <laughs> We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. This program is brought to you by Merck Animal Health, makers of Momatamax Otic Suspension. Did you know that otitis externa affects up to 20% of dogs? That's why you need to keep Momatamax on hand. Momatamax. Gentamicin sulfate, mometasone furoate monohydrate, and clotrimazole otic suspension for the treatment of otitis externa in dogs caused by susceptible strains of yeast, Malassezia pachydermitis, and bacteria, Pseudomonas spp, including P. originosa, coagulase positive staphylococci, Enterococcus faecalis, Proteus mirabilis, and beta hemolymic streptococci. Convenient once-a-day treatment helps control inflammation to reduce pain and irritation. Learn more at merck-animal-health-usa.com slash condition slash otitis-externa. Important safety information. Momentumax otic suspension should be discontinued if any hypersensitivity to its components occur. Do not use in dogs with known tympanic perforation. For side effects and warnings, please see product information. And what about dermatology? Aside from that experience with your dog, like really drew you in about like what fascinates you most about that area of vet med? Even though dermatology seems so focused, it, it can be a quite large specialty. I mean, the skin is one of the, is the largest organ in the body and it can be a marker for a lot of internal disease. So we joke because dermatologists aren't just skin doctors, we're immunologists because we deal with a lot of allergies and hypersensitivity disorders. We treat autoimmune diseases like pemphigus, and we also treat some internal diseases that affect the skin like endocrinopathies such as hypothyroidism or Cushing's disease. So I kind of do a little bit of everything, which is fun. And I love these complicated cases where it could be four or five different things, you know, so you have to figure out the puzzle and work them up and, you know, do some in-house diagnostics, which we love cytology. We love to use our scope because you can really figure out a lot of things in-house. And then if that's not getting you anywhere, if you're not getting the answers that you're looking for, then we'll, you know, do some advanced diagnostics and treatments and stuff. So every case is different. You know, there's not really a cookie cutter and every pet mom and dad is different. So their choices for treating their pets will vary. And so you can't just throw the same thing at every case, which I love. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of tailor making your uh, path of forward and, you know, what based on your working diagnosis, what your plan is can be sometimes I bet frustrating, but very rewarding when you kind of figure out what exactly is going on. <laughs> yeah, it is rewarding. It's, it's especially, I mean, now to like, Things aren't easy. They're never easy, but there is some pattern recognition. You know, I've seen that before. And so you see it again and you're like, hmm, this looks like pemphigus or something that I've seen before. And I think younger veterinarians sometimes get overwhelmed by that. It's not that their mentors are, you know, particularly smart. A lot of times they are, but a lot of it's just their experience and they've seen some things, some, some wisdom comes with <laughs> just having seen things before. Yeah, exactly. I know I've talked to a lot of um, new grads or, you know, my classmates that we're going to be graduating in May. And I think that's the biggest scary thing that we face is, you know, all these doctors feel like, you know, it seems like they know everything, but it's, it's a lot of it is that pattern recognition of just years of seeing cases allows you to really hone in on your differentials. And we're just like walking around, <laughs> looking all over the place, like, what is going on when a lot of these doctors are like, oh, I've seen like, you know, 15 of these or 100 of these, like makes a difference after a while once you get comfortable with what you're seeing. It does. It makes you faster. I mean, that's for sure. But I think that the novice um, veterinarian still like brings something to the table because sometimes, you know, us older folks forget things <laughs> or, you know, maybe we're just so used to seeing the most typical things. And then a, a student or a younger vet may remember, oh, I studied that on boards. What if it's this kind of zebra diagnosis, you know? So, so occasionally 
you know, there's those kinds of things that I probably don't think of as often just because they're not as common, but sometimes they're still there. So um, I love the mix of having, we have um, LMU students that shadow us. And so I love it because you get to show them things and everything's so exciting and fresh and new for them. But then also they ask great questions and remind me sometimes of, you know, maybe some of those more unusual cases that I don't see typically. Yeah, absolutely. And I always love going around asking the doctors about like those interesting cases, because a lot of times the research or the information in the books isn't as in-depth because our research isn't there yet. So it's really helpful to get that clinical perspective too and be like, well, in reality, you know, how does this usually come about or what is something that usually tips you off as to maybe having this higher on your differential list? So you're on TV as a veterinarian. How long have you been doing this for? Yeah, we did do, there is a sneak peek that we released in August of me and a little dog named Buttercup, which you should take a look. It's on YouTube under Nat Geo Wild or on my um, Instagram page. But it's really fun. Um, the one thing about the show that I really love and kind of differentiates us from some of the other veterinary shows is that they really go a little in depth with the backstory of the pet. So they'll visit, you know, the family at their home or at a park because of COVID and, um, you know, tell the story of how did your pet get here? You know, why does this mean so much to you? And then they come in and see me and then we see the transformation along the way. So I was able to view a little, a few sneak peeks and that was what I enjoyed the most because even as a veterinarian, I only see the patient's in the clinic. So being able to see them at home running around or sitting on their mom's lap is, is really fun. The other thing about the show that's cool is that we treat multiple types of species. So not just dogs and cats. Um, so we've got some exotics on there and we see really gross things. And I think people like that. It's sort of like the train wreck where you're like, don't look, don't look, don't look. And then you have to turn and look, you know? <laughs> so um, it's there's a lot of that, that viewers may be shocked to see, but I think they may like it because I like it. <laughs> the grosser, the better for me. Right, it's like, it's so gross, but I have to look at it. <laughs> yeah, it's so nasty. Uh, yeah, and there's not much that grosses me out, so I kind of find it fun. That's awesome. How did you come up with the name Pop Goes the Vet? <laughs> Wasn't me. It wasn't me. I think the the idea for the network was that, you know, they know of, you know, Dr. Pimple Popper and her huge following and how much her viewers like that. So I think they know people like popping things. And as a dermatologist, I do pop things. I do a lot more than that. I, you know, peel crusts and I <laughs> deal with oozy things. And, you know, so it's not it's not going to only be about popping zits and popping tumors, but there will be some of that. And that's always fun. It's kind of like a, I call it puppy surprise. That's, you know, where you have this tumor, but you're not sure what's really inside of it until you cut into it. And then it like squirts a deer face. Like, I love it. <laughs> and probably with uh, with wearing masks and stuff, you're a little bit more protected from the, the splash. You're a little protected. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you might lean in a little closer because you have a shield on. Yeah, but it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully everyone loves it. Yeah, we're so excited to see it. Is it, is it weird to be like on camera? Like, is it in animal dermatology clinic that they film it? Yes. So how has that been like working with everyone there? Yeah, so it, it was, it was an interesting experience for us because we actually had to move to film for just logistics and all of that. So we moved to a new clinic. We closed our business day on Friday, packed everything up moved all day Saturday, organized everything and started filming on Monday. So it was, my team is incredible. The staff I've been with, some of them for 11 years since I started and we have a lot of love and respect for each other. And so everybody was kind of into this, like we're gonna do this together mentality. And it was hard, it was different. And I think when you can't foresee what something's gonna look like, sometimes that creates a little bit of anxiety, you know? So um, season two should be a lot smoother, but you know, basically there is a camera there. For me, I didn't mind having a camera on me because, you know, I love talking to people. I love teaching students. So I'm used to having someone there. So it was kind of like, yeah, like the, the camera was the student. <laughs> so, um, you know, we just explained, you know, what we were doing and they were there when I was talking to the um, pet moms and dads. So like there was, there was no real issue for me with that. I didn't mind that. You know, some of my staff may have not liked having, you know, a little birdie on their shoulder all day, but 
I didn't really mind it at all. And it, it kind of broke things up, especially after a year of being isolated from so many people during the pandemic. We had exposure to the crew and, you know, our um, cameramen and like hearing their stories and the other shows that they worked on and like their jokes. And it just it was fun. It was different. You know, I've been in practice. I've been a vet for 15 years. So you know, it broke the mundaneness of the job and it was no longer, I mean, nothing was expected, like everything was new. So I really love that. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping for definitely lots, lots and more, lots more years doing it. <laughs> many more years, many more years. Absolutely. It keeps a veterinary clinic spicy life. <laughs> Be right back with more vet candy. Hey, this is Dr. Quincy Hawley, and I'm here to tell you about a new show. It's Vet Candy Rounds with the Hawleys. That's right, Dr. Tierra, the love of my life, and I have teamed up to bring you the most fascinating cases in the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or a podcast platform of your choice, only on Vet Candy Radio. And you said you are originally from Ohio and then went to Cornell in New York. So how did you meet your, did you meet your husband at Cornell, like during school? No, we actually met, we met at a vet conference. <laughs> so go to your CE, <laughs> you might find your spouse there. No. <laughs> I actually, I went back during my senior year of vet school, or not back, I visited Tuskegee for the first time um, during my senior year in vet school. It was literally like the month, last month of vet school, I think. And my best friend had gone there for undergrad and was in, at Cornell with me. And she's like, we should go. They have this spring symposium, it's the Tuskegee Symposium. It's, I think, usually in April. And we went down and I met him. I literally fell over him in a lecture hall because I was late. <laughs> <laughs> so I fell almost into his lap. And then, uh, you know, we later met um, at a little like mixer a day or two later. Uh, I guess the rest is history. Yeah, I was like, hey, I'm the person that uh, <laughs> tripped over you yesterday. <laughs> Sorry. He, he knew it was me because after I fell into his lap, he was looking for me again. Yes, he was. He's <laughs> like, who's that beautiful lady that just dropped her head in front of me? <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny story, but we went to different vet schools. I guess when you're in vet school, you get so familiar with your classmates. You know, there are some people that dated in school, but then you're sort of like, Ugh, I would never date anyone in my class, you know, you kind of get that mentality. So even, and I think I was at the point where I couldn't imagine actually marrying or dating a vet because I thought we would have too much in common where it would be boring. Like our conversations would be all about work. And, you know, I thought that might be a little, make, maybe get stale or be a little overwhelming, but it really isn't because we do such different right. things and his work day is a lot different than mine. And so we do talk about work and he's a great resource to have on hand <laughs> for some of my complicated cases. I'm like texting him like, you know, what do I do? What do I do? And when we were, we used to work in the same building, um, I would just pop over and be like, look at this blood work for me. And he'd be like, go woman, I'm busy, you know, <laughs> but we work very differently and have different practice styles, which is, you know, I think keeps things fresh. Yeah. You have an internist on speed dial in the best way. <laughs> yes. It's so awesome. <laughs> so did you guys like decide to move to like back to his hometown after you're both done with your residencies? Cause you did those in tandem, like you were in residency at the same time and everything. We were. So he graduated a year above me. Um, and then he was in practice for a few years before he did internship at University of Tennessee. And then he was in practice for a few years before deciding to do his residency. So I actually finished residency before him and he was still in residency here in Louisville at a private practice, which is what brought me here because he wasn't done with training. And then because of his family, that's really why we stayed. He's he's the youngest of seven. So it's like getting married into the Brady Bunch. That's so many. <laughs> so many. So our holidays, you know, especially when the grandchildren were all younger, our holidays were huge. Yeah. And I love that because my family, I grew up with just my sister. So it was much smaller gatherings. And this was like wild and crazy and just so many people. And I loved it. And you know, we've, we've really 
made Louisville our home. So um, we can't imagine living anywhere else. Oh, that's awesome. And you guys are starting a a little family of your own. You have uh, quite a a bunch going on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So many kids and so many animals. (laughs) So you have, you said a seven-year-old and then two four-year-old twins? Yes. Yes. So I have the seven-year-old who's Caden and then the boy-girl twins are Kobe and Carter and they just turned four. So there's never a dull moment. <laughs> Do they all get along? They all get along. They get along well. Uh, there was a phase when the boys kind of would fight a lot, I think, because they're both so strong-willed. And my daughter's very laid back. So they would kind of, it was mostly over uh, resource gardening. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, toys, things like that. Um, they do better now. And then what's uh, what's on the animal side? Mini farm? So we have a small farm. My, my son keeps trying to get us to get more pets, but we have a 11-year-old Lhasa Apso because I'm a collector. My first dog that got me into dermatology was a Lhasa. <laughs> so I always have one. Um, yeah, he's cute, but he's got a little bit of an attitude. And then I have a one-year-old, I should say pandemic adoption dog <laughs> named Magic. And he's super cute. He's about 70 pounds. And then we have a brand new kitten who's, he's six months old and he is a non-traditional ragdoll. He's really cute. He broke his toe at no fault of the children. You know, you always worry about getting a small animal with toddlers and they had nothing to do with his broken toe. He is just a rambunctious, active kitten. He was on a table and the, and touched this like kind of table ornament and it fell over with his paw stuck in the ornament. (laughs) And so when he fell, I guess it just, you know, was the right torque on his finger. And so um, he broke his toe, which is super weird because cats usually land on their feet. They don't break things. (laughs) He had to be splinted and we had to change the splint. Yeah, every week. Tiny little splint. I can send you pictures. It's cute, but it was very hard to keep on him because even with his e-collar, he could still somehow like pull it off. So we got, it fell off a couple of times. I always say there's snakes with legs. (laughs) Cats are, (laughs) but he finally is out of that after six long weeks. And uh, it never slowed him down. He was still stealing pizza off of the table with his peg leg. Oh, of course. Of course he was. (laughs) It's peg leg. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. It's like having a pirate in the house. Yeah, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, my brother and one of our past dogs a long time ago took a tumble down the stairs together one year right before Christmas. So we we stayed at uh, Tufts that that Christmas uh, checking after the dog. My brother was fine, but the dog broke his leg. So he needed surgery and we did that. But my mom was like, really? We have insurance for the child, but not the dog. (laughs) Not the dog, but that is a plug for pet insurance. I do think it's an amazing thing to have and we have it for our own pets. So (laughs) it's nice to have. Yeah, for sure. Yes, we do have it now. We do have it now because you never know, you know, can always something always crazy happens, I think. Yeah. And especially with veterinarian and, and vet student and vet tech pets like they always end up with the most disastrous conditions and because they know they know we'll take care of them exactly but uh, yeah like a broken toe and a kitten I mean no that doesn't happen (laughs) but it happened to me (laughs) it's always crazy like they just know that like oh these people will actually like take care of this properly so I'm gonna do something weird as heck just so they can learn from me and it was funny when you were talking about um like dating in vet school and everything like that. And I felt the same way when you're like, oh, you get so close to your classmates that you're like, oh, I would never go out with any of them. (laughs) It's like high school, right? It feels like high school a little bit. It is. It's almost worse because it's only, it's smaller. It's like a hundred of you. And you literally see those hundred people almost every day of your life for like three or four years. Like it's crazy. Yeah. You know too much about them. You're like, ugh, it makes the person unattractive. Yeah. You know, they're good, (laughs) they're good days and they're bad days, but it's like, I don't know if I'll get bleep for this, but you don't want to sh- you eat type deal where if something goes wrong, then you both have to be cordial with each other, whether you like it or not for the next however long you still have in school. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Like there's no hiding. There's no hiding. Yeah. And that probably makes it more painful. <laughs> yeah. There are a couple couples in my class that are doing well. So I'm rooting for them. Yeah. There were a few that made it out of our class too. And, and more so just there were people that had relationships then because it's, I mean, that's pretty young to have a serious relationship that, you know, and it's not that young, but then at the same time it is, you know, you're still trying to figure yourself out. And 
um, develop into who you are. And I, I think I'm a different person now than I was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So yeah, I always uh, commend my friends that have been married 15 or 20 years, you know, already. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Like, how did you do that? Right. Like, were you married at 22? Like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. I do have some friends married that married around 18 or 19. There was one of my high school friends, the two of them started dating in high school and they are still married and their kids are like in college, you know, and they still love each other and they seem so sweet together. And, you know, it's an amazing testament. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Especially like being young professionals and you're just, you don't know where your life's going to take you or if you're going to go, you know, practice in the same area or get residencies in the same area. Like there's a lot still up in the air. It's not like your life is, you know, settled by any means when you're in school. Exactly. And I think too, with um, especially with when people are deciding to do internships and residencies, like you're kind of just put your finger on a button and then you're like, I have no control. If you're enter the match, like you really don't know where you're going to end up. <laughs> so uh, that can put a little strain on dating as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because then you never know if you're going to end up on opposite sides of the country. Long distance is tricky. We did do the long distance dating for a long time. We did do that. And uh, it worked for us, but it's not always you know, something that most people want. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's a, a big effort on both sides for sure. But hey, sometimes it's worth it, right? <laughs> sometimes it works out in the end. You end up with twins. So, Are there other twins in your family or are you like the only ones with twins? There really aren't. I think on my mom's side, like on her father's side, way back there, like somebody had sibling twins, but it really doesn't run in our family. And there's all kinds of genetic factors. Like, I mean, honestly, if you go to vet school, you're probably more likely to have twins just because the older you get (laughs) when you have babies, it does increase your likelihood. And um, certain like races are more common to have twins. Like there's several factors against me, (laughs) but but it was a a true surprise. And we did find out at work um, because my husband put his ultrasound on me and we saw two. Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) Which is just a crazy, a crazy vet story. (laughs) You found out you were having a litter at work. (laughs) (laughs) A human litter at a vet clinic. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Put the needle on the record. Vet Candy Life is a talk show hosted by well-being gurus, Dr. Quincy Hawley and Renee Michelle. Each episode features expert tips, lifestyle advice, and real-life experiences from the most interesting people in the world. Check it out on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and more. Do you practice with your maiden name or do you practice under your married name? Under my maiden name. It was an obvious choice for me. I met him at the end of my vet school years, and so I felt like I had earned my DVM with my name, and I was very possessive over that. Um, everybody has their own opinions. A small amount of you know feminist, you know, mixed with a little bit of uh, you know traditionalism. I did change my name legally to his after maybe like eight months. <laughs> Um, because it was so hard for me to give up my maiden name. Um, But I knew it was important to him and, you know, easier to have your kids and you share the same name and all that stuff. But people do whatever they want to these days. You can honestly practice under whatever you want. So I love that. But it's sometimes confusing. But for us also, because we work in the same city and he's a specialist as well, it keeps confusion. So if someone's calling for Dr. Cummings, that's not me. <laughs> you know, they're calling for Dr. Griffin for me. I, my name up there says Cummings because that's my legal name. But under, <laughs> um, I sometimes get confused as to which name I've told you <laughs> outside of veterinary medicine. I'm like, it might be under Griffin. I feel like people are always looking at me like, is this woman like a fraud? Like, why does she have multiple names? <laughs> right. I was like, no, no, I, I use both. <laughs> but I do. And then, you know, for the show, I'm Dr. Joya. So I have lots of aliases. I was really thinking about this too, because, um, you know, thinking about getting married in the future and everything. And my boyfriend now, he wants me to change my name. And at first I didn't know that you could do it separately. Like, because I was like, I don't want to give it up either. Because we met at the end end of my vet school time too. And I was like, this is, I want this on my family, you know, like they deserve all the credit for helping me through this. And I don't just want to give that away to 
you know, a family that, you know, I love them, but they're, it's not the same, you know, like I want to give respect to my family that really sacrificed for all this. Sure. And you earned it. You know, I see both sides of it. I've had friends that originally started practicing under their maiden names and then got married and switched their practicing name. And I respect all of it. But for me, I was never giving up <laughs> Griffin as my as my doctor name, you know, that was, it was just really important to me for the same reasons that you're saying, and you can really do whatever you want. <laughs> so you can hyphenate it, you know, and have some super long name. Yeah. I like the idea of having it legally changed for like family things, but then it kind of makes a nice separation, I guess. So it's like, oh, this is me at work. And then this is me at home. I love that too. You know, and I think eventually if, you know, if you do decide to have a family and stuff, it does sort of separate it a little bit. You know, I'm Mrs. Cummings, but I'm Dr. Griffin, you know, and it's, I love that. Yeah, it's really nice. And then you can kind of, you know, be incognito a little bit too, if you want. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. People don't always recognize that you're the vet. But it's really funny though. Um, Louisville is a growing city, but it is smaller. Um, and I met with curbside, you know, you don't see a lot of your patients, pet moms and dads face to face, like you just don't see them. And so I was outside. I, if the weather's nice, <laughs> I'll go and talk to them, you know, at, at the side of the car. And I was talking to um, an owner and it actually was the grandmother. And I noticed that she had a bunch of baby seats in the back. And I said, do you have twins? She's like, well, not me, but my, my daughter. And she's, you know, on her way here, but she's finishing with work, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I have twins. So we had this whole long conversation about that because you bond with other twin parents because it can be miserable <laughs> and hilarious. And there's just this, you know, shared understanding when you are dealing with multiples. And so I was talking to her for a long time and then that was it. You know, I treated the pet and they have not yet come back for a recheck because it's not time yet. Well, my children, the twins just started dance classes and I'm standing there in my scrubs and the mom shows up and I see these twin kids. I didn't think anything of them, but I was like, oh, cool, twins. And then she goes, are you Dr. Griffin who has twins? Because you treated my dog the other day. And it was just so funny. Like, I'm, you know, totally, I was wearing scrubs, but I was totally just, you know, doing my mom job. And I'm recognized. And, you know, it was the same family that we had bonded over the twins. And now we can hang out at dance class every week. Yeah, that's so cute. Now they can be friends and then your dogs can be friends too. It's great. Exactly, exactly. We will probably be friends, I'm sure. I love other twin families. Right, you can have twin play dates and puppy play dates at the same time. You get like two birds with one stone. Yeah, exactly. So what are you interested in, in going into? What are you thinking? One of my problems is that when I go on different specialty rotations and I have these really good preceptors that are so passionate about their specialty. I'm like, oh yeah, like this is so awesome. I could see myself maybe doing this. So it, it makes it kind of difficult when I have um, a broad range of interest. Well, ER has always been something I'm really interested in because I love that. Um, yeah, that adrenaline rush of it, the knowing what to do, you know, when the life is on the line. And I had a bunch of ER, uh, things with my own pets growing up, like my dog and my brother tumbling down the stairs <laughs> with our horses and, you know, other dog issues too, that kind of, you know, I didn't know what to do. My family, you know, none of them's a veterinarian. So we all know what, didn't know what to do. So we had to rush them over. Like I want to be the person that knows what to do so I can save their lives so that they can get whatever help they need after that. I want to be able to keep them from, I guess, passing by stabilizing them in that most critical time is really interesting. It's That's great because we definitely need more um, ER clinicians for sure. There's a, a grand shortage. So if you need a job, I have three for you here in Louisville. Seriously. And you said you like horses or had horses. This is a horse capital of the world. <laughs> it is. I've actually never been to Kentucky either. Yeah, you should come. It's beautiful. I just uh, drove cross country from California back to Massachusetts because my time in California was up with my rotations and I have the rest of them up here near home in Massachusetts. So we packed up all my stuff, drove with my boyfriend and we made a road trip out of it. <laughs> I bet that was fun and beautiful. It was, it was exhausting after a little while, but <laughs> I'm sure, I mean, it took you what a week and a half or yeah. And we stopped at IVEX too, cause we did it in September. So we stopped at that conference for a little while and uh, then made our way back home visiting a couple friends and stuff. So it took us about, 
10 days ish to get home. Oh, you were, that's still though, that's, you were doing it, you know? <laughs> that, I, that, I think the longest drive I had was like New York to like Kentucky, I guess. I don't know, but 14 hours is like my limit. We did, I think the most we did was 12 hours in one day. And that included like stops, getting food somewhere and like bathroom breaks. <laughs> it gets exhausting. So I'd love to do it again with shorter amounts, of like six hour driving days and have destinations everywhere. That'd be, that'd be fun. Yeah, we did get to go to the Grand Canyon though. So that was awesome. That's good. I still haven't been, I need to. Oh, it's beautiful. And I thought like, you would see like all this crazy stuff driving up to it. And you literally, you don't see the hole until you're on the rim of the hole. So you got to get, you got to hike out to it. Well, you, you can drive like pretty close to it. It's like a five minute walk. Yeah. You wouldn't know it was there until you get to the rim. And then you're like, holy Yeah. We fantasized about like renting an RV um, when we had one kid and we've stopped fantasizing as much about the cross country trip with three kids. But I, I mean, I'm like, would that be fun or should we just fly close and then drive? <laughs> you know, it, it'd be, it's a long way from Kentucky <laughs> with small people in a, in a box. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Unless you, unless they do well with uh, like iPads and stuff and they kind of just zone out and you can have your peace while you're driving. <laughs> right. Exactly. And not the a thousand. Are we there yet? How far is it? Are we there yet? <laughs> it's like, no, no, it's nap time. <laughs> We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hello, this is Caitlin Palmer. You probably know me as the desk wench. You know, the sweet TikTok receptionist who has to deal with the evil Karen Stevens. Well, if you like that, you are going to love my new podcast, Desk Wench Confessions. On my show, I have funny guests who tell me about their own Karens. Plus, we have contests, giveaways, and skits. Trust me, you are going to love it. Check it out on a podcast platform of your choice on Vet Candy Radio. Oh, and what do you and your husband do, like, either after a busy day at the clinic or, you know, a crazy week with the kids? What do you guys do to just, like, either relax or take some time for yourselves, like, just with each other, things like that? Yeah, we try to be pretty intentional, too. Well, one thing is that the children have to take naps, even though they don't sleep. So there's a break in the day where we can just have a little bit of quiet because um, they are getting older. So even our older son, he has, you know, he can have time to read in his room or get the iPad for a little bit so that it can just be calmer in the house and we can either get things done or watch an episode or something or take a nap. You're right. <laughs> Mom and dad nap time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You need that. I have discovered the art of taking a bath. Um, that sounds very silly, but I grew up with only having a bathtub and then I guess just as an adult, you know, you're always in a hurry, so you don't take the time to just like relax. And so I love to like light candles and watch an episode of something in the bathtub. <laughs> and during the pandemic, when you, you know, there was nowhere to go, it was like I was just with the family all the time, which is great. But then also you have no alone time ever, you know, because no one can go anywhere. Yeah. And so that was my thing that I sort of started doing. Um, and now as things have gotten busier, I haven't spent as much time doing it, but I started to really enjoy that. My sister is a big bath person. Like, like literally <laughs> she'd be in the bath every day. I was like, guess what, Jenna? I've become a bath person. She's like, yes, I converted you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So those are things like I think that we kind of do to stay sane that are easy at home. And then we'll sometimes take like um, online cooking classes together. There's a girl who actually uh, graduated from Johns Hopkins so we get these alumni events and I joined her cooking club and each month she has one or two cooking classes and they're live, but then she'll tape them so that you can watch them later if you can't meet the live ones. But I like the live ones because you can chat in and they she responds and stuff. Um, so we do those and then we try at least once or twice a month to actually go somewhere. So we'll hire a babysitter and we'll go out to dinner or on a bourbon tour or, you know, something like that. So it's, you have to be a little more creative with 
the world shut down, but <laughs> there's not the same level of opportunities um, as we had before. So one of our first pandemic dates was just going out of the house. We ordered carry out, we ate it in the car, and then we walked a very beautiful park in Louisville called Cherokee Park. And we intended it to be like a mile or two walk and it ended up being four miles because we got lost. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe bring breadcrumbs and ping the location of your car. (laughs) Yes, yes. Make sure you have a data service wherever you walk. (laughs) That's the problem with parks. You can't always get your directions back out. (laughs) I know, huh? Because there's um, a nice trail app. It's called All Trails and it's free, but if you pay for it, you can actually download the trail like beforehand lifesaver because I also get lost. You would love Cherokee Park though because you can literally stay in it for days. It's like a maze. It was pretty insane. <laughs> like I never want to be lost in that park again. <laughs> At least you guys made it out. You made it out alive. We made it out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome because we did that a lot too. Like when everything was shut down, basically all you could do was go walk somewhere, go outside and explore. So we ended up doing a lot of different hikes or exploring a lot of different beaches in Southern California just to get out and do something, see something different. Yeah, you you have to be creative and, you know, you have to get out of the house. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I go insane. Yeah. (laughs) Seeing the same four walls, you're like, all right, I'm done. But have you, I guess, ever experienced any of the um, fatigue in the vet field or any sort of like feelings of burnout or anything or how have you dealt with that if you if you have? Yeah, I definitely have. I think I think that's just natural with the work that we do. You know, I think I'm a little bit buffered from some things because I do specialty medicine. So the financial aspect of things, it's still there. Um, but I don't have people come to me and say, you don't care about animals because you won't do this for free. I think that that's common sometimes in general practice medicine and definitely in an emergency. So I don't get that because people are prepared you know, that this is going to cost a certain amount of money ahead of time. So that helps. And they're also sort of at their wits end already with, you know, things not getting better. And so they're willing to do a little bit more often. So the financial strain of practice, I don't feel that guilt um, that I think sometimes we get gets put on us unfairly. So I, I think I'm a little bit buffered from that, thankfully. But we do get clients that are very intense because they're seeing a specialist. So they expect results right away. Um, They expect a certain level of care. So I had to really change my mindset really with a lot of it, Um, not taking things personal, like trusting my medicine and my ethics and knowing that I'm a good person and that with every single case, I'm aiming to do the best job that I can do and treat these patients as if they were my own and even better because you know sometimes as pet our own with our own pets we don't always do all their treatments you know (laughs) life gets in the way but I want even more than that for my own patients and um, I had to stop taking um, client criticism and sometimes when they're negative and rude to the staff and to me I stopped taking it personally like I had to um, because it really can eat away at your core realizing and just believing that, you know, what I'm doing is the best job and I'm putting my best self forward with each case, I think helps you not take it so personal if you trust yourself. I think some of it just comes with experience because you've I've dealt with the yelling client and as I've gotten older, I won't allow myself to be abused anymore because I have been, you know, I've gotten off the phone crying from clients that have just berated me and I won't do it anymore you know, because it's, it's just not worth it. And I had to sit down and say, Joya, is it going to be you or are you going to let them win? Like, is it going to be, are you going to stay in the profession and figure out how to have a healthy balance? Or are you going to take these very few and far between criticisms and take them to heart? And so I just had to have a lot of self-talk about it really. And a few friends just asking advice from older mentors, like, how do you deal with burnout? Because I think it came probably between your five and eight or so out of practice where you, you're trying to build your practice, you know, and you're trying to build your clientele and you're working really hard. And so sometimes people get to you, you know? Um, and so I remember polling the audience and just saying, you know, what do you do? And, you know, one of advice from a good friend of mine was, you know, I just focus on the animals. I love on them. I remember why I'm doing this and I don't worry so much about 
the pet owner. Um, I don't worry as much about them. I'm focused on treating my patient. And I think that kind of helped, but not taking it personal. Cause usually when people are mean like that, it's something wrong with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's something going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something usually there, something else is in their life. That's not going right. There's something else going on. And I just, we just try to kill them with kindness. You know, other things that I do is I surround myself at work with very positive people Um, And so we are all very supportive of each other. I back my staff. So if a a client is nasty and mean to them, I'll get on the phone and say, so I hear you're unhappy. Like I just start right out. I hear you're unhappy with my services or I hear you're unhappy because a lot of times a pet parent may chew out the staff member, but they don't have the guts to say it directly to me, but they're talking all this behind our backs. And so I'll just confront it. You know, I heard you're unhappy. <laughs> you know, I say it, the first thing I say, hi, I hear you're unhappy, you know, because a lot of times people just want to be heard and I'll let them talk, but I won't let them be abusive. There's just no point in that. And I've told clients that are just going crazy. You know, if you don't want to stay for the appointment, you don't have to. And they usually stay. That's the thing when you try to fire a client, quote and unquote, fire them, because I don't think I've ever successfully fired anyone, honestly. You know, when you give them permission to leave, oftentimes they stay because what they really want is to be heard and validated. And, you know, if you kind of stick up for yourself, then they'll be like, I shouldn't. They feel like they've kind of been put in their place a little bit and they learn to act a little better. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes they just need a little, uh, nudge and be like, hey, you know, your behavior is not acceptable. So if you can be an adult, we can follow through with this. (laughs) Well, you think you wouldn't have to have those conversations, but you do. Another thing advice I have to younger vets is realize that being a vet is not the only thing. Like it is a big part of our lives and who we are, but there are so many other things that I love and that I'm interested in and, and find those things that you love and outside of work, hone into that, you know, spend time doing that. Even if it's like relaxing in the bathtub or maybe you're a runner, like I run. And so I run, you know, and that's very important to me. And, you know, I love spending time with my children. And so one way that I created balance was by, I only work four days a week. And when I don't work, I literally don't really work, you know? So I'm not really accessible by the clinic, by my staff I am, but like clients, you know, they ha- they can't really directly text me or email me. You know, that's just not an availability that I need to have as a dermatologist. But I think it also creating boundaries really helps. If I'm lecturing or I'm, you know, working on a PowerPoint, I will do those things on my off time. But I try to limit a lot of my extracurricular veterinary commitments. Yes, I try to limit those to the things that serve me well, things that I enjoy. Maybe it's a conference that I really like or a place that I really want to go to or it fits well in my schedule. But if I have to break my neck to do it, it's probably not really worth it. Because even if you're going to get a, you know, a stipend for it, it is going to cause you so much stress and anxiety leading up to it you know, as a working mom, it's not really worth it for me. So after I had the twins, I really had to focus in on the things that brought me a lot of joy as opposed to the things that I felt like I had to do. Um, Because the had to do's, they just create too much stress. When you have such limited time, I just honed things down quite a bit. So high value activities are important. Um, The ones that are not, I say don't do them because it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to just stress yourself out like that because that it will start to affect your body and your your mentality. Yeah, yeah. We as veterinarians, we are definitely yes people. So learning how to say no when you need to say no, not because you wouldn't do a good job or because you know you don't think you can do it, but just because you know you have other things to focus on and you're already spread thin enough. You know, I'm I'm not sh- sure the best advice for that, except starting just to do it. You know, little by little, and just really evaluating the the commitments that you have and saying, you know what, why am I doing that? Is it because I feel like I have to, or is it because I want to, you know, and I think those are very different things. And yeah, I I learned that I think the hard way, uh, (laughs) because you do some of these things and you're just like, well, it was great that I did that lecture, but I had to do notes that were required. And then the notes took me like 10 hours to do that I could have been spending with my family. And, you know, you just have to balance it and just say, what, you know, what are your goals? long term. Yeah, absolutely. And becoming a veterinarian is, you know, a lot of times statistically harder than a lot of different things to get into that people in this field just really place all of their self-worth and value on the title of veterinarian. 
And I think that's, you know, why some people get really like burnout or, you know, they get a lot of issues because they just forget who they are outside of that white coat. Yeah. And, you know, they may have never known who they were. You know, we, a lot of us go straight through school like I did. And so I did get married shortly after residency, but I, we didn't rush into having kids. So we had time that I, you know, I took circus silks. <laughs> like I, I took a non-degree writing class because I love writing, you know, a, a fiction writing class. Like I did things that were, you know, just because I could and because they sounded interesting. And now I don't have that much time, but I kind of learned early on to figure out like what sort of things I like to do. And <laughs> so when I have little bits of time, I go back to those things. Yeah, absolutely. And it gives you something to go back to. It gives you something to, you know, switch what you're thinking about. So you're not always, you know, 10 feet deep in medicine. You can give yourself a, a break and really focus on other things that make you happy other than, you know, being a veterinarian makes us all happy. But having other things that make you happy too is super important because then, you know, once you retire, what are you going to do? I've already thought of it. But. Yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> I, um, I have two jobs. I'm going to work at a movie theater so I can watch movies all day and I'm just going to sweep the popcorn. I mean, how much stress can that be? Thank you for your ticket to the right. And you can hang out with teenagers. Like, I think that's going to be amazing. And then I, I want to, um, I want to be a travel agent. All the teen angsty problems. Yeah, I would love it. It's going to be so amazing. I'm, I'm going to be so wise to them or out of touch one or the other. <laughs> And then I, I want to uh, I want to be a travel agent because that just seems so fun. I love to travel and like, how stressful is that? Planning someone else's vacation. Heck yeah. Like, yes, Mrs. Smith, <laughs> your flight to Italy will be there, you know. <laughs> yeah, I seriously, those are, those are going to be my jobs. Yeah, that sounds like a good time to me. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hey, this is Dr. Julio Alonso. Do you want to keep up with everything Vet Matt? Then check out my show on Vet Candy TV. We talk about clinical updates, science news, plus some of the coolest people in our profession. Stream at My Vet Candy 24-7 on YouTube, iTunes, and most other video platforms. Well, thank you so much for spending some of your minimal free time. I know you're such a busy working mom of three. So thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it was wonderful. Thanks for chatting. And uh, I can't wait to hear what you end up doing with everything after you graduate. I think it's an exciting time it for you. It is. It's exciting and stressful, but we will get through it. <laughs> you will. You will. But um, thank you so much again. I'm so excited to... Have everyone in the Vet Candy universe meet you, and I will let you get back to your family. <laughs> and we will see you next time, Vet Candy universe. This is Shannon Gregoire, and this is an IRL. See you next time. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. It's Vet Candy Radio.